Hi, welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Tom Salpek from Cross Asset Strategy. I'm joined by my colleague, Natasha Kaneva, uh, Head of Global Commodities Research. Uh, Natasha, welcome to the program. You have revised your estimates after a very long period of time. You know, one thing that's been interesting on the longer term trajectory of demand is that, you know, even as you have these dips once in a while, upward a march of demand is just relentless and it's just so hard <laughs> to, to stop that. Uh, why don't you first lay out the picture on, on how demand has been evolving? Yes, uh, thank you, Tom, and thank you so much for having me today. Uh, yes, you're absolutely correct in your description of demand. Uh, first of all, what we need to keep in mind is that despite all this uh, malaise in the manufacturing sector, 75% of oil demand is actually services. Yes, it's moving things and people around. Uh, so hence, one of uh, the aspects of this year's uh, demand profile has been very, very strong recovery, mostly driven by Asia. And in this case, it's it's China and majority of that, it's actually jet fuel. So year to day, we are averaging about a little bit over 2 million barrels per day. By all means, it's a very strong recovery. Um, we are projecting for the year about 1.6, 1.7 million per barrels per day growth in the demand. Two thirds of that would be Asia driven, three quarters of that would be jet fuel driven. But again, what we're observing at the moment is, Thomas, which is again very important considering we just got Chinese data for May is record oil demand in China, record oil demand in India, record oil demand in the Middle East, record oil demand in, in Africa. So all of that is enough to actually propel demand significantly higher, despite very weak demand in United States, very weak demand in Europe, uh, and uh, flat demand coming out of Korea and Japan. Not only that, uh, you know, clearly the weather was significantly above normal. So because of that, you know, the heating demand was weaker, the diesel demand was weaker. But overall, since the Memorial Day, yes, that's the start of the driving season in the United States, the official summer season, the numbers actually out of U.S. have been coming solid, about 200, 300 KBD above, above 2022 levels. So by all means, when we put the picture together, um, it's it's pointing a very robust uh, recovery. You know, the growth of 1.6 million barrels per day, this would be the third strongest since 2004 outside of the first year recovery after recession. Uh, again, it's, you know, it's, it's a jet fuel driven recovery. It would have been even stronger if Russia were not to close its airspace. And what we're observing in China is that domestic flying activity is about 110% uh, over 2019 levels. International flying activity in China is about 62, 64%. But if you look at the activity between flying activity between the United States and China, it's still at about 6% of 2019 levels. One of the reasons or the main reasons for that is China, uh, Russia closing the airspace. And because of that, the planes have to go around and it's you know significantly longer, significantly more expensive. Hence, the amount of flights have not normalized, you know, normalized only 6% of 2019 levels. So that's really, really low. You know, that's definitely uh, provides you with more potential for growth in 2024 if the situation were to change. Um, so by all means, your description of demand is exactly on point. It's 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 you know the good numbers we're seeing out of that. Let's turn to, to the supply side. I think that's where maybe a few more of the surprises are. You wrote a recent report called The Labors of Sisyphus, and obviously OPEC has a, an uphill battle fighting off the different uh, sources of supply. But I mean, you, you, you may as well have called it whack-a-mole because, uh, because it seems like there's a lot of different sources of supply cropping up to, to kind of counter the, the demand. 
Yes, Thomas, very, very precise description of the situation. You're absolutely correct. Um, so our preference is uh, not to change our price forecast unless we believe that the, the fundamentals behind the view uh, have changed. So we, we prefer to put our price forecast only once a year in November and we put the outlook. Uh, so, for example, in 2022, the, the, the view shifted on, uh, on the start of the Russian-Ukraine war. Uh, this year, the shift in the fundamentals in our view happened with the release of the EIA uh, March PSM report. For those of you unaware with that publication, it's 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 a monthly, monthly publication with the U.S. demand numbers and U.S. supply numbers. So at this, in November, when we were looking at our view at what exactly the supply will do, uh, um, the expectations for the U.S. supply was that actually it will be constrained in the first half of the year. The main reason for that, it was that there are constraints in the gas pipeline capacity in the Permian, which is the main production basin in the United States. And so we knew that they, they wouldn't be able to export the gas, the associated gas from that from that uh, region. And because of that, we believe that the production will be flat and after that increase into the second half of the year. Uh, the exact opposite happened when the data came and confirmed what exactly is happening with the US production. So what the what we concluded is that the price environment is so good that despite all the constraints with you know the gas line and the gas pipelines and the gas processing capacity, the US producers found ways to continue producing and uh, shipping those volumes out. So the overarching conclusion is that in the last two years, the very high price environment did exactly what it was supposed to do. It incentivized production growth. And just to give you for scale, Tom, one of the numbers there is that in the first quarter of this year, global demand grew by 1.4 million barrels per day. U.S. supply alone grew by 1.55 million barrels per day. On top of that, you have record production in Canada, you have Guyana, you have Norway, you have Brazil, you have Argentina. So this is non-OPEC countries, yes? So when we look at the numbers, we're saying, okay, demand will grow at 1.6 million barrels per day, but supply, non-OPEC supply will grow by 2.2 million barrels per day, more than enough to cover all the growth in global demand. So by definition, just looking at those numbers and looking at the balances, OPEC is in a situation where they have constantly to react as long as they want to stay with the market managing uh, strategy, they have to react and they have to continue cutting, cutting their production just to keep the markets balanced. So that's number one. Number two, the countries within the OPEC uh, plus alliance uh, have been overproducing as well. So the three countries are the one that stands out. It's Nigeria, it's Iran, and it's Venezuela. All three countries are somehow in the orbit of the U.S. influence just because they have uh, U.S. has companies operating in those countries. Uh, and, you know, clearly, uh, as we saw the news from the Wall Street Journal yesterday, is that there has been a negotiation ongoing between the U.S. administration and Iran. So those three countries combined, the production from those countries will is 600 at the moment is running about 600 KBD above our expectations in November. So Nigeria was producing 1.1 last year. We assume that production will be flat. Today, they're producing about 1.4. In the case of Venezuela, we knew that Chevron got the license to expand their, uh, the, the operations there. So they increased their production by about 100 KBD. They set another 50 by the end of this year. But overall, the volumes are coming, uh, are coming very healthy out of that country. And Iran, Iran, last year, Iran was exporting about 1 million barrels per day of crude. Now they're running at about 1.5 million barrels per day. 
in terms of production, they were producing 2.2. Right now, they're producing close to 2.7. Um, so there are many different ways to extrapolate this information and to, you know, to make conclusions about why it's happening. But overall, the policy from the U.S. administration has been very, very clear. It's to make sure that oil continues flowing, not just from Russia, but overall to make sure that the oil market is supplied is very well supplied. So that's that's what is visible in the markets at the moment. So the overarching conclusion on the supply side is that the price is good enough. Everybody's making money. Everybody continues producing. The numbers are significantly stronger than we expected. Our delta on the demand, we actually had to continue upgrading demand. Uh, we upgraded demand uh, so far by about 300 KBD, but on the supply side, uh, we uh, we had to upgrade our numbers by about 500. And actually, I would have to say that the risks are to the upsides that, again, we're missing something in terms of how much can come out. I mean, we have strong demand, uh, but an even bigger supply response. Uh, you know, from an outsider's perspective, of course, you, know, you hear about these big cuts from Saudi Arabia of over a, a million barrels a day. You think, okay, there should be some response. And when you see a re relatively muted or negative response on the price action, it tells you something is going on. So, so why don't you uh, combine the two sides of the picture a bit and, and, and talk about how you uh, revised your recent targets, both, both for the average and the end of the period? You're absolutely correct. When you read the news and you see that the price is actually declining after that, you you know you're clearly missing something. Yes, it's either demand is weak or there's too much supply. With the demand, we have, uh, I would recommend to everybody look at you know Wednesday's demand tracker. We have very very good visibility into more than fifty percent of the global demand on the mobility side. Yes, we have the congestion index. We have. Uh, the Department of Transportation has 3,000 cameras on the roads for those of you guys driving very fast, something to keep in mind. So there is a daily, daily data coming out of that uh, out of that statistic. So we see exactly you know, the amount of trucks on the roads in the United States and what they're doing. Similar statistics coming out of Germany, uh, similar statistics on weekly basis coming out of China. So for example, we know that as of this week, there are 14% more trucks on the Chinese roads than exactly the same week last year. So we have very, very good understanding where the demand is and then, you know, the daily amount of flights at any country, we see exactly how many flights took off every single day. So we have good visibility. So hence, we knew that our mistake is not on the demand side. It had to be on the supply side, and we couldn't quite figure out who's producing more until we got the statistics out of the U.S. and we realized we're way off by about 300 KBD. So that's you know that's what was the, the our error. So putting everything together, what does it mean? So in November, our fair value for 2022 for 2023 was coming at 84 dollars. For the first quarter, our price target at that time was at 78. Um, so we knew that even in our numbers, we knew that the market will be oversupplied. So the numbers were showing that supply will be growing at about 30% above demand for this year. So hence, the fair value was showing 84. So what we decided in November is that, that OPEC is in control and actually they want to manage the market and that, that the market is not oversupplied, but the market is balanced. And the way we usually model, we look and we say, okay, what OPEC needs to do, how much they need to put production in or how much they need to take out to for supply to equal demand to get zero. So that's how we model it. So the moment we made that assumption that immediately pulled the price up from 84 to 90. So hence we increased, so we pretty much inflated our price forecast from 84 to 90 while being very explicit what exactly we were doing. 
So the conclusion we've reached now is that OPEC is not in control. Why? Because they're fighting against the other supply. And uh, for our listeners, uh, please uh, read the report or even just the bullet points of the report. And the main chart is the chart on the, for the front page, the first page that you can see the OPEC production and non-OPEC production. And you can see that starting from 2022, non-OPEC production has been more than enough to, uh, to cover all global demand needs. And because of that, OPEC production has been flat. Yes, to balance the market, but non-OPEC production continued growing. And at the moment, actually, OPEC and non-OPEC production are almost identical. What means is OPEC is losing market share and non-OPEC production is gaining market share. So hence, OPEC is not in control. And because of that, they just they, they can't do that. So the question is, you know, of course, uh, Thomas, you put it, you know, the whack-a-mole, how long that will last, that's a separate, completely separate question. Uh, but as of now, what we said is that we're just reverting to our previous price targets. Uh, so it, it was 84, now it's actually 81. Um, but in terms of, you know, that it's, it's, it's similar levels, we're keeping the profile unchanged, increasing prices into the into the into the end, uh, we do believe that uh, absent any recession, uh, we can move ten dollars higher from the current levels. Why? Because the inventories are declining. So it's it's visible now that the global inventories they were flat from the you know in the in the, in the beginning of the year. Now they started drawing down. We do believe that they will uh, this will accelerate because we have now. The OPEC numbers coming through, we have in July, Saudi Arabia cutting, as you pointed out, 1 million barrels per day. So that will accelerate as long as the market feels comfortable that there is no recession or no imminent recession. We do believe that the fundamentals should prevail and the price should be pulled up. Um, so hopefully you know, the, the sentiment will improve from that perspective. Again, you know, all of that is on paper. Yes, when we model it, it shows that the fundamentals should be tight enough to move the price up $10. Uh, but overall, going into, you know, towards the end of the year in 2024, again, absent recession, um, non-OPEC production should be enough to cover global demand, one and one. So uh, OPEC has to extend their cuts. So they made already the announcements that, you know, the announced uh, cuts in April will be extended all the way through 2024, maybe even 2025. Even with that extension, we still have surplus next year. So which means... Prices from, you know, uh, 80, 85, 86 would have to start declining.